You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the 23rd Psalm. We're coming to the end of our series Uh, next week. uh, We will finish up with a message falling right after uh, these verses that says, Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's been an amazing journey, and uh, today we want to take a look at a message uh, entitled, Uncontainable. It seems to me as, as uh, David gets to the middle of the psalm, we, we saw a change happened, and he says, uh, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he picked the most difficult thing you could ever possibly face, and even though I go through that, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear any evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They comfort me in giving me direction and, and giving me discipline and, and giving me protection. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then he talked about what we saw last week. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you can just see him starting to get kind of wound up through the most difficult thing. You don't leave me. You don't forsake me. And now you set this table before me in the presence of my enemies. They have to sit and watch God, what you do for me. You anoint my head with oil. My cup, it overflows. Oh my goodness, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's just like building up and he can hardly hold it in. You ever had news like that? You ever had stuff that's just uncontainable? You're so excited, you want everyone to know. Hey, it happened to uh, Sue and I uh, this week. Wesley Allen Whittingstall. See, I know the picture's up there without even looking. Wesley Allen Whittingstall was born on Tuesday, August the 12th. I got the text at 1.46 a.m. And I didn't sleep hardly for the rest of the night because that was great news. Now, it wasn't our first grandchild. It was our fifth grandchild, actually. You can uh, uh, go to the next picture, and here's a, a great shot. See, that's a one proud grandpa. I'm just going to gloat for a minute here, if you don't mind, because it's kind of uncontainable for me. Now, I got the news, but I wasn't allowed to tell anybody. Because it was 1.46 in the morning and Lindsay and Carl had not yet got on Facebook and told other people. And so it's like, Papa, you gotta sit on this. And okay, so another picture. Two of the older people in that picture, only one of them looks old enough to be the grandparent for five grandchildren. I understand that. And uh, hey, here's the last picture I want you to see as I gloat just a little bit today. Um, Three generations. Um, Wesley is the newborn. And then Daniel is his big brother. And then Carl is in the back. And Carl's the youth director at Harvest in Oakville and, and grandpa. Now, I've had three generation pictures before because I'm a grandpa for the fifth time. But something struck me this time that had never struck me before in generational pictures. And what struck me was, I'm now the old guy in the picture. (laughs) I'm the next one to go in the picture. But it doesn't really matter. It's all uncontainable. It was so neat. As soon as I could, an email went out to all the elders and all the staff going, look what's happening and out on Facebook because we had great news. We had something that we wanted to say and it was uncontainable for us. Well, I think that's where David is in this psalm as he's sitting at the table 
and as he's um, watching, his enemies are watching what God is doing and, and God comes and anoints him with oil and, and then he says, my cup overflows. It's just, it's too much. He, he can't contain it anymore. And so we want to set all of that by reading the Psalms. So if you've got your Bibles open by now, I trust. Let's stand together. We want to honor God as we uh, read his word. Listen as I read. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Lord God, this is your word. And again, we are so privileged to hold it in our hands and to be able to read it and see what you had laid on David's heart. And as he wrote a a, a psalm, as he wrote a song, Father, uh, did he understand the implications of it? Did he understand what it would mean for generations and generations? Did he understand what it, probably not, but God, you took it and you've used it for your fame and for your glory. And I pray, God, as we continue on the journey through this psalm, as we look at this message, that truly our minds would be careful to be listening to what you are saying, that we'd be able to understand it. But then, Lord, you'd give us a passion as you gave to David to live out his faith and live it out, Father, for us, for the fame of the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So do the work that's necessary in us today. For the person who's in the room who's never trusted Christ, Lord, would you bring them to a place today where they see the need for the Savior, Jesus? And for those of us who know you, Father, that we would be challenged in our walk with you to walk more uprightly, more faithfully for your fame and for your glory. Do in this place what only you can do so that you will be pleased and you will be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, there's really two things we want to see today. You anoint my head with oil, my cup, overflows. And so the first thing we want to talk about is anointing. Um, That's the first thing we want to see. It's in your notes. He says, um, you anoint my head with oil. Just a couple things about that. That word anoint or anointing or some form of it appears about 130 times in the Old Testament. So it's not a foreign concept at all. And in the New Testament, that word or some form of it appears about 20 times. Over in uh, Psalm 92, you don't have to look at it, I'll just read it for you. Psalm 92, 10 and 11, he says, You have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox and have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. This was not a, a foreign idea, and David explores it many times in the Psalms. We'll see a few of them as we go on today. And so here's the first thing I want to see is anointing. What was its purpose? What was its purpose? If, if it was important enough for David to write it down, what was anointing? What was its purpose? Three or four things, real quick. Here's the first one. Anointing was designed to set apart. It was to set you apart. And we'll see that as we go through uh, the next section. But it was uh, to be consecrated. You're being set apart for a responsibility or a role or, or uh, for a position or for a sense of who you were and to set apart. The second uh, purpose of of anointing was to make holy or to purify. 
And so David's considering all of these things as he's writing and penning the words, you anoint my head with oil. It had religious implications. It was a sense of an oath being made before God. And it was also a picture of spiritual blessing. And so as David is writing these things, he's probably thinking about all of those things as to the purpose of anointing. Well, what was its value? What did it look like? And I came up with seven, and I'm sure David was thinking of many of these as, as, as he was considering the words that he wrote. Remember, he's sitting at the table. He's considering, contemplating what God is doing as God is preparing the table before him in the presence of his enemies. And he says, you anoint my head with oil. That's a cool thing. Um, you anoint my head with oil. It's not like Sue anoints my head with oil. This is, this is what God is doing. And so as he's writing those words, what's he thinking about? Well, David was a shepherd. We saw that in the first part of the psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So sometimes during the year, the bugs would get so bad, they would just about drive the sheep crazy. And they would put oil on the faces of the sheep, all around their nostrils, around their mouths, around their ears, to keep the bugs out. They would anoint the sheep to protect them. And a loving shepherd would do that so the sheep would be taken care of. Well, David had been a shepherd. Obviously, he had anointed sheep. And so maybe that's part of what he was thinking about as he's considering what this would mean. Uh, But I think there's something even more uh, that he would have been considering. Because remember, context, context, context. The picture is he's sitting at the table. And it says, you anoint my head with oil. Another form of anointing was a a picture of hospitality. It said that you are welcome here. You are esteemed here. You're accepted here. You are an honored guest here. And so as you were sitting at the table, the, the, the person who had invited you to come would come up behind you and they would anoint you with oil. It would be a, a perfumed oil. It made you smell nice. But it was their way of saying, I love you. I'm glad you're here. You are an honored guest at my table. So now imagine David sitting at the table that's being prepared for him in the presence of my enemies. And God himself walks up behind David and anoints his head with oil and says, you are my friend. You are honored You are welcome. You are highly esteemed. In Psalm 133, verses 1 and 2, a picture of this, it says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robe. So anointing was a, perhaps David was thinking about the sheep, most certainly in the context he was thinking about this idea of hospitality. But David also understood some other things about anointing. In uh, Psalm 45 and verse 7, um, he said this, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And so there's this idea of anointing, which was a, a concept of gladness and fullness and abundance and satisfaction and sufficiency. 
carries over in Hebrews 1. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So David, he's understanding that. He's seeing that lived out in his life. And Lord, it's so awesome. I don't deserve any of this. And you anoint my head with oil. Another concept of anointing was around the whole area of healing. And uh, the picture of oil being used as a salve and used as a medicinal piece. And as a, hey, in James chapter 5, it talks about, is any of you among you sick? Is anyone struggling? Here's what it says, James 5, 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Uh, We do that around here. If someone who is sick and you've been to the doctor and you're not finding any relief and you're not sure what God is teaching you or doing in your life, the, the Bible says... Call the elders. It's not for the elders to come after you. Uh, I know you're sick and I know you're struggling. It's not for me to come. Hey, we're come to anoint you with oil. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, you call the elders. You have to take a step of faith in this. And and we do that here. And we've done it when that was a room back there. We did it in there. We've done it in my office. And we've done it in the boardroom. And we gather around and we go through James chapter 5. And we examine the person in the sense of, is there any sin that's unconfessed in your life? And... And then we take a little bit of oil as we pray prayers of faith and, and put it on their forehead, believing God. I've got to tell you, it wasn't part of my experience growing up. But it's there in God's word. So we're going to do it. And we've seen God do some pretty incredible things in people's lives as God has worked. Has everyone been healed? No, everyone doesn't get healed. But God has done that. And God has done some restoration in people's lives as it relates to other people. And God certainly has made sure the healing with the relationship with them is done. That's happened every time. David would have understood about oil and healing. But hey, church, God's word says, is any among you sick? Let them call the elders and let them pray. Concept of healing. Another uh, principle, another purpose for anointing was in preparation for death. And uh, well, you think like David wasn't about to die, like not that we know of. No, but the next verse talks about that, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows, Ready? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 to 13, this is the picture of Jesus being anointed at Bethany. And uh, David would have understood the principle of, of a body that when it had died, you anointed it with oil. Well, in Bethany, it went like this. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you'll always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it 
to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the, in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And what Jesus said was just fulfilled again because I just told you about it again. But um, the, the anointing of oil was part of the burial process. And then the one more picture of anointing and that is the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit being used as a picture um, by oil. It's the ministry of the Spirit in our lives and in that filling of the Spirit. So David says, you anoint my head with oil. And if you didn't think about it, if you didn't give it any consideration, you'd go, well, that's kind of interesting, but I don't really know what he was talking about. I'm sure it had a lot of meaning for him. And it should have a lot of meaning for us as well. So we saw the purpose. We understand the value a little bit. But here's the last piece I want you to don't miss this. Consider the honor. Consider the honor. You anoint my head with oil. And so here's David again. He's sitting at the table that God is preparing for him. We talked about that last week. The enemies have to sit around and watch. They can't thwart what God is going to do. And as they're watching, God comes in. And he anoints his head with oil. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. David had a lot of enemies who were watching and seeing. And God comes in and he anoints his head with oil. Hey, if you were to take that down to one sentence, what did it mean? God comes in, anoints his head with oil, and in doing so, he says, David is with me. David is with me. I value him. I love him. I cherish him. He is my child. David is with me. Every one of us who is in Jesus Christ has experienced the same thing. When you trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, that was that point of you're saying I'm with him, but Jesus is saying he's with me as well. And that's a reality that every believer has understood and and we come to and grow in more and more and more. But when David says he anoints my head with oil, he is saying he's with me. That's what God says. That's an awesome truth for us to hold on to and grasp and live in the hope of. Jack, God says, God says, Jack, you're with me. Amanda, God says, Amanda, you're with me. Mike, God says, you're with me. Jerry, you're with me. Paul Whittingstall, you're with me. Ralph, you're with me. Put your name in. You're with me. You anoint my head with oil. Then he goes on the next part of the verse and he says, my cup overflows. This speaks of the abundance of what God does for us. My cup overflows. God's not a halfway kind of guy. He's not like, I'm just gonna maybe give you enough. It's not what he says. He says, my cup overflows. Well, yeah, but like David was the king. No, don't forget, David had gone through a lot of things and he had struggled and he had wandered around in the wilderness and he'd been through difficult times. And as he's looking back and he's remembering, he speaks out of abundance. He says, my cup, it overflows flows. It runs over. Not only that, there's more than enough. 
It overflows. It spills out. A picture of all that God is doing in your life and in my life. And now it should be spilling out to other people who are being blessed and encouraged as they see what God does in your life. A picture of abundance. Hey, just a couple of things about that. Here's the first one. A God who is abundant in mercy and rich in grace for you. Romans 5 and verse 20 says, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded. It overflowed even more. I was a eight-year-old kid who needed a savior because I was a sinner separated from God. Every one of us is separated from God unless we've trusted Jesus Christ as our savior. Ephesians 2 says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says there's no one who seeks after God, not even one. So if you think you're the one who's gonna get a pass, not even one. We all hate God. Until the Lord Jesus Christ does a work in your heart and brings you to a place of understanding he is the savior and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you are saved. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, the Lord. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, God's word says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. My cup is full because of what Christ has done in saving me. Have you trusted Christ? Have you come to the place in your walk that you've understood you were a sinner separated from God? You couldn't fix that problem. That gulf was way too wide. That requirement of God of no sin was not anything you were ever going to be able to deal with. And you came to the place of understanding what Jesus Christ did when he died on the cross was to pay for your sin. All of it, all of it in the past, all of it in the present, and all of it for the future. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ did for you. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, you can't earn it, you don't deserve it. He did all of that work. He did it for you. When you trust Christ, you look back and you go, my goodness, what I was, how pathetic it was, how empty it was. And now in Christ, it is full. It is overflowing. It starts in salvation, but it goes on in our sanctification. Because some people, even in their struggle to come to Christ in salvation or even followers of Jesus Christ in their sanctification, growing up in Christ, they they struggle with, okay, pastor, that might be fine for you, but... But you don't understand what I've done. Jesus would never save me because I'm such a dirty, rotten, I'm a sinner. Now, I'm not just a regular sinner. I'm like the worst of sinners. Or you're a follower of Christ and once again, you've fallen in sin and you're like, but, but if you only knew, if you only knew. Hey, we're talking about David here. We're talking about the adulterer. We're talking about the murderer. We're talking about the manipulator. And he sits at this table and he says, you anoint my head with oil. After all those things I did, you say, I'm with you. And my cup overflows. Hey church, 
I don't care what it is that you've done. It's not beyond the grace and the restoration of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our cup overflows with God's grace and with God's mercy. Another thing that understanding about the uh, overflowing will be how we respond to it. You can read over 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 this afternoon or some other time, but there's a bit of a cycle that goes on there, and it's the reality of when we understand the overflowing grace of God, it leads us to an overflowing generosity with other people. And Paul is challenging them in their generosity. And I want to challenge you in your generosity in God and his goodness in saving you and keeping you. And, and, and no matter what you're going through right now, and it could be very devastating, it could be very difficult, you can still look back and you can see God's working and his goodness and his faithfulness. A young adult came up after the service last night and stood right up on the platform with us. And, uh, and she said, I want you to pray for my friend. My friend, um, her son died this week. He was eight years old. And I've just preached this message about God's overflowing abundance. And, um, and there are times when we go through the difficult thing that we can't see it. But even as we talked, there was the reality that this little eight-year-old had trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. And mom, and mom is a believer. And although she's hurting and in pain, and the Bible doesn't say Christians don't sorrow, don't let anybody ever tell you that, we do sorrow. But we don't sorrow like those who have no hope. That little guy's in heaven. Uh, He got a bonus on that day for sure. Easy to understand that right now. I can't imagine if I just say that to my son if if little Wesley passed away. But he's in heaven. And mom is a follower of Jesus Christ. And the forever part is coming for them. But even in the truth of that and the reality of that is the, is, the, is the hope that we have and the understanding that God doesn't leave us and he doesn't forsake us and the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. The generosity needs to flow out of us in gratitude because of what God has done for us Because although it might not be clear right now, one day it will. One day, and maybe on the other side, but one day we'll understand why all of this happened and how it all worked out and how God used it for his glory. But the reality is, as I look at my life, even the things we have been through, I go back and I go, my life is just filled to overflowing with what God has done for me. You know, when you take hold of that, my cup overflows, a couple of practical things that come out of it. Here's one. There's no room for complaining. If God is all he says he is and he's doing the things he says he will do, then what's with all the complaining? How come I didn't get that job? How come I didn't get, how come I didn't get? You know what, North American Christians complain more than any other Christians anywhere in the world and we've got more grace and more stuff poured on us than anybody else anywhere and yet we're like, wah, 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 wah. Every time something goes wrong, And yet people around the world who have nothing compared to what we have, they go through it and they're like, look what the Lord is doing. Look at how good God is to us. Man, God is awesome. And their cup is full and it's overflowing. 
And when you see what God did for you in your salvation, in his grace, in his mercy, when you see what God does in keeping you every day, when you see what God does in his forgiveness for you and his restoration for you, my cup, it overflows. Another thing, that overflowing cup is the reason for generosity for us as followers of Christ. Every one of us in this room, we are so rich with what we have. And we need to be looking around us to the people in our small group and the people in our church. And how can I, how can I pour out in generosity based on what God has done for me? Because he's done so much. And your next door neighbor who doesn't know Christ, how can you pour out for them in generosity? Generosity is not about writing a check. It can be about serving. It can be about helping. It can be about praying for them. It can be about so many different things. If your cup is overflowing, if you're looking at God and seeing his goodness and his faithfulness, you're on the, how can I pour that out on somebody else? Pouring out in generosity. Because my cup overflows. But I don't even think that's really enough. It's, it's not even just enough like my cup overflows. It's more than that. It's more than all you need. More. It's super abundant. Over in John 10 and verse 10, it says this. The thief comes only to steal and to destroy, but I have come that you may have life, not just that you'll have life, but have it abundantly because your cup overflows. It's just not that you just get life, you get it super abundantly. God's pouring it out for you. In 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 4, it says, I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all of our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. Here's Paul again, in prison, uh, locked up, overflowing with joy. Because his cup wasn't half full. He understood what Christ did in saving him. And it's just always, always overflowing, overflowing, spilling out for other people. He said a couple of other things that are kind of overwhelming. In Ephesians 1, verse 3, he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And then over in Ephesians chapter 3, and verse 20, he says this, Now unto him who is barely able to help you through life's struggles. Okay, that's not what it says. Here's what it says. Now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory and the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly above all that we could ask or even think about. Is that how you view God? Is that how you see his grace in your life? Is that your story that people would say of you if I was to ask? Well, what, what, does, what does the world say about you? What do other followers of Christ say about you? And do I hear from them a lot of wah, wah, wah? Or are they like, no, no, they're always talking about what God has done and how faithful God has been and how good he is. Even in the hard things, I'm gonna trust you, Lord. We've been learning that as elders. I remember when we sat in the room and there were about 100 people in the church and we prayed, Lord, would you give us 200? 
And he did. Now, Lord, would you give us 300? And he did. 400 and 500. And Lord, would you give us 600 and 700 and 800 and 900? And he did far more abundantly than we could even dream that he would do. When we came into this building, which was a gift from God, I never imagined the day that we would knock that wall out and knock that wall out and have three services. It's not because of who I am. Look at me. It's about what God is doing in our church. And he's done far more abundantly than we could ask or we even dreamt about when we came here. Lord, would you allow us to plant a church? And he did. And Ian's leading a group of 400 people out in Durham. Lord, would you allow us to plant another church? Would you allow us to have a a campus church to start? Would you provide the man? Would you do that? And and he has. And is he going to have a church? Yes, he is. And he's going to do it. He's going to do it in his way. And I don't understand how that's all going to work. But man, I'm I'm, I'm starting to be on the far more abundantly than we can ask or think plan. Because look what the Lord has done. He's been faithful. He's been good to us. He's been great to us, awesome to us as a church. And we're asking for more. What would 1,000 look like? What would 1,200 look like? Oh my goodness, what would 1,500 look like? And how in the world would we ever do it? How could we do four services? There's no more walls to knock out. Do we stay here? Do we go somewhere else? He is able to do far more abundantly than you can ask or think. We won't be perfect at it. We'll struggle through it. And we'll have times that we will doubt. We did in all the journey that brought us this far. But God is faithful. Okay, that's what we're seeking to do as a church. And that's how we're seeking to lead. But what about you and I? And what about in our personal walk? Are we a super abundant, overflowing people? I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking. Make me throw up. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about rejoicing in what God is doing. And you see it. And you express it. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the most difficult thing possible, I'm not going to fear any evil. Why? Because you, God, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare this table before me in the presence of my enemies. And he sees himself sitting there. You, God, you anoint my head with oil. There I am in front of all of my enemies, all of them who want to thwart what you're doing, all of them who want to tear down. And, and you're saying he's with me. You can't touch him. He's with me. My cup overflows. I'm going to make sure everyone who I can tell knows about what God is doing. And then he finishes with surely goodness and mercy. You're going to follow me every last day I have on this earth. And then, bonus, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, so what? So what? As you read these verses and understand what uh, David is saying, David's not picturing some wimpy God who's scrimping and scraping along, barely able to survive, trying to keep his poverty-stricken children um, just happy enough to keep them in line. 
David's talking about God's goodness and his faithfulness and his love and his grace and his mercy poured out over and over again in his life, this adulterous, murdering, scheming. Look what God has done for me, he says. Is that how you'll live your life out this week? As a follower of God, no matter what comes, you will go with me. You're saying I'm with you. To God's saying that to you. You're with me. Would we be people of God who live out with the kind of faith that believes the kind of things that David believed? That we be the kind of people who what spills over out of the abundance in our life would cause people to say, why are you like that? What is it about you that makes you different? That you would take every opportunity you have, whether it's with your family this afternoon or with a coworker tomorrow or with a neighbor down through the week, and in some way you'll spill out what the Lord has done. Because it's uncontainable for you. Because God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. We're challenged by it. But Father, we realize, looking at through the eyes, we know that David wasn't perfect at it. But Lord, even in his weakness, even in his failure, even in the destructiveness in his life, your word says that he was a man after your own heart. Lord, teach us from his life. That the failures weren't final, that there was forgiveness and there was restoration. And when we think, yeah, yeah, that might be good for somebody else, but not me, it's too much for us to remember people like him and people like Paul the Apostle and who are dismal failures in so many ways until your grace touched them. Nothing is too hard for you, God. You're all that we need. You're more than what we need. Lord, what an amazing thought that he could sit at a table And you would come up behind him and pour oil on his head and in doing so say, this man is with me. Lord, that's true for every follower of Jesus Christ in this room. Father, our cup, it overflows. And out of the overflow would you take and use us to bring glory to our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name.